Once you get your study sheet, open up to the book of Genesis. That's Genesis, by the way. <laughs> Genesis. I enjoy mispronouncing Bible books. Because it's fun. Genesis. You got to get that ch on the ch. Genesis, chapter 1. What you do if you don't know where Genesis is at is find your table of contents and go a little bit to your right. If you don't have Genesis in your Bible, burn it! <laughs> yeah. All right, got to have the book of beginnings. All right, so a little bit of review, a little bit of review. From the past, well, last week, not past couple weeks, it's been last week. I'm already in the series mode. All right, so from last Wednesday, let me know what stood out to you. So what do you remember from last Wednesday? What were some of the things that really stood out to you, things that you enjoyed, things that convicted you, things you didn't quite think of before? Triangle. Yes. yes, what about the triangle? Was that yours too? Okay. Yes, so we got our triangle, which is not on your guys' city sheet this week. It's going to be in the weeks to come. But here you have the relationship triangle. And this is, I'm a really good artist, by the way. All right, so I'm not at all. Okay, all right. So over here, we've got our variables here. We've got our. Oh, I think someone keeps eating these markers. Okay, it's probably oh, my Bobby. It's my daughter. I'll spank my kids. It's Don't loose. Worry. Don't worry about it. Okay, so you have the question mark over there, and the question mark represents what? Somebody. Someone. That you used to know. Yeah. Got it. I see what you did there. Okay, so you've got you over here. Little attractive you, stick figure. I told you I'm really good at drawing. And then you have the question marks. This could be this could be anybody. This could be anybody. So this could be your parents. It could be your friends. It could be the person that you're interested in, but you don't have quite the guts yet to ask them out on a date. It could be your boyfriend, girlfriend. It could be whatever. It could be anybody. All right. So this would be that person over here. Okay. You got you over yonder. All right. So in this relationship, relationships require two people to actually get closer together. Correct. Otherwise, you can't have a relationship with somebody. Unless you're a sociopath, I guess. But that's another lesson altogether. Okay, so then up at the top here, you have... Jesus. God, yes, Jesus. Okay, so in any relationship, there always has to be a two-way street. And what is that? Talking. Talking. Listening. And listening. And so this is what you would call communication. If you were to break communication down into its most simplest form, that's what has to exist. And all of you guys are professionals at this, whether you realize it or not, because some of you have had friendships and relationships end because you don't communicate properly or they don't communicate to you. Or things have gone through rough patches because maybe one person assumed something about the other person, took it out of context, blew it out of proportion, and it ended everything. And then there's no talking, there's no listening, and so a relationship ends. Correct? Okay. So that is the very basics of it. Now, when it comes to that, this also exists here. So there's a two-way street between you and God, and that is also talking and listening. But what are the talking and listening between you and God? Okay, so you're talking to God as prayer, and your listening is the Word. Okay, so getting into God's Word, that is the listening to God part. Talking to God, that is your prayer life. So if this does not exist, you cannot get close to God. So here's where things begin to break down. Because... 
as you desire, hopefully, as a born-again believer in God's family, there should be an innate desire in you to get close to God. If there is no desire in you to get close to God, then you may not be a born-again believer. Because the moment you accept Christ as your Savior, God puts his spirit inside of you. That's Ephesians chapter 1, 13 and 14. Ephesians 4, 30. There's a whole, like Colossians, I mean, 1 Corinthians, it's all over the Bible. That God puts his spirit inside of you. And so if his spirit, if you've prayed to God and accepted him as your Savior and saying, God, I need you to save me, Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God sends his spirit and it lives inside of you and it permanently indwells you. Now this spirit that's inside of you desires to commune with God. And this spirit is always in communication with God. Always. Always. The relationship between the spirit of God and God the Father is always intact. Now, if you choose to cooperate with the Spirit of God, then you also will pray, and you will hear Him, and you will also be in tune with God. But the moment that you stop doing that, He is still in communication with God. He still has communion with God the Father, the Spirit of God. And so inside of you will be conviction. It will convict you, and it will make you miserable until you get right with God. That's one of the key indicators if you're actually saved or not. And so, if you choose to have a human relationship, and this person has no interest in walking with God, now we've got some problems. We've got problems. It can't happen. The person that you have a relationship with has to be able to be in communication with God, which means they have to have the Spirit of God inside of them, which means that they have to be talking and listening to God. And the Spirit of God is going to be in direct communication with God. And through that, then, the closer you get to God, the closer that you guys can get to each other. That's it in a nutshell. But this is why the Bible says very clearly that people that are not Christians, you should have no interest in them whatsoever. Yeah. That you should not date, you should not marry people that are not Christians. Like, that shouldn't even be a thought in your mind. And I can even show you that passage in the future weeks to come. But that's exactly what it says. That's exactly what the Bible says. And God's not being a jerk about it. He cares about you. You're in his family. But just like in your own family, I'm sure there, there might be people you're interested in dating that your parents don't approve of. And so then you have this tension between you and your parents. Well, it's the same thing spiritually. It's the exact same thing spiritually. So this is what we talked a little bit about last week and why this is so important. And so thank you for bringing that up, Timmy. All right, what else from last week? Just, we got the triangle, which we're going to talk about in future weeks for sure. What else we got from last week? Anything? Yeah. Well, I know we're going through God and mankind, but I know there's two other ones I don't remember. Yes. Like, God and I, I don't remember that. Okay, so there's three categories of relationships that you'll face in this life, and it's all categorized in Scripture. So the one is God and mankind. The second one is mankind and mankind. So that could be all relationships between human beings. And the third one is parents and children. God calls those three relationships out and they lays it out perfectly in Genesis 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. So we'll talk about that a little bit tonight. Another big one that I want to bring up. The world's way and God's way are opposites. opposites. So you cannot expect to date or to have any relationship with your parents boss, friend, or whatever, and do it the way the world does and expect God to be pleased with it. Can't happen. It's the complete opposite. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah 
what he said about it earlier, uh, what happens if you help someone to communicate with God? One that also helps with your relationship with God and your friend? And yeah. Yeah, and that's, that's part of it. That's part of the Great Commission. So we should try to get people to have that communication with God, seeing them saved, seeing them learn how to walk with God. Now, where it gets dangerous, and this is part of my testimony, is that when I was in high school, I was interested in a girl who was absolutely miserable, and I knew she needed Jesus, and so I witnessed to her. She supposedly gets saved, and then I wait a whole whopping two months before I start dating her. I was an idiot. But in my mind, my teenage mind, my emotional mind, and, and you get to know me, I'm a very loyal person, so as soon as I give my heart away, I give my heart away to a fault, and so that can be a strength of mine, and it's a weakness of mine. And so when it comes to that circumstance, I should have waited because she needed to learn how to walk with God first. Before she and I could have a relationship together, I needed to make sure she knew how to walk with God. And I needed to make sure that I knew how to walk with God properly because she was a huge distraction to me. Huge. And I was just very foolish. And I approached that the wrong way. It's not impossible to do it the other way, but it's really, really hard. Relationships are already hard enough because you got two sinful people. It's a lot easier to have a relationship with someone who does, does, really does desire to walk with God. If you desire to walk with God and they desire to walk with God, then it'll still be hard, but it'll be a lot easier because God is your Lord. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of, so you just need to be patient. That's yes, nice. and that's what a lot of people are not willing to do is the patience, practicing that patience. You just, yeah. just need to, yeah, that's one of my teachers and people. That's what my teachers. That's what my teachers say. Yes. Hey, you just need to. You just need to have the right moment. That's right. And it's patience, patience, patience. And we talked about that. I think on Sunday that it's better to be a thousand steps behind God than one step ahead of Him. And we're going through that in the Book of Joshua right now on Sunday mornings, talking about how to walk with God the right way. Okay. All right. So we're in Genesis chapter one. Yeah. Hooray! Hooray for those good teachers that are actually helping you out. Okay. So now we're going to talk about the God and mankind relationship. And some of this stuff we're going to, I want to spend some more time on. So if we don't get through the front and back today, I'm okay with that. I at least want to get through the front side um, and we can hit the back side maybe next Wednesday, but we'll see how this goes. Okay. So first of all, right here, the relationship between God and mankind is the most important relationship because it is the foundation for all other relationships. God created us on purpose for a purpose and for his pleasure, not our own. Revelation 4.11 talks about that. If our relationship with God is not in the proper place, there is no way we will be able to have proper relationships with anyone. And this is just common sense because if God made you and you are not submissive to God, then how can you be in a proper relationship with anything else God created? You just can't. It's not possible. So you need to make sure that you and God are where you need to be, and then you're able to have good relationships with your parents, your friends, the opposite sex, teachers, whatever. It doesn't matter. This needs to be okay, because if you and God are good and you're submissive to him, then you'll begin to see things very, very differently. And for those of you that have not walked with God for a period of time— You can just look back over your own life and you could share testimony after testimony. I know you can of fights that you've gotten in with your parents, with your siblings. It was just plain stupid when you should have just listened to them to begin with. But when you get right with God, you start to see, oh, you know what? I should have listened to them. Or maybe when you haven't walked with God and you've decided to date someone that's lost or not walking with God or says that they're a Christian, but they're really not. And how did that go for you? 
I mean, there's lots of examples that we could give over and over and over. So, as we proceed into Genesis 1 through 3, make sure that you focus your attention on the proper, on the importance of the relationship between God and man and God and woman. So, I want to talk about this. All right. So, going back to our, our purpose in the very, very beginning, we got to hit Genesis because that's where man was made, and we got to see how God made man and what he made him for. So, why was man created? Why was man created? Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, 28. Give me three readers. 26, 27, someone over here. 28, okay. Go ahead. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Okay, so right here, God breaks out and does something completely different. So you have the, the five days of creation, and then on the sixth day of creation, he creates cattle, and the creeping thing and the beast in verse 24, and he created them. And then God said to each other, so this is the Trinity, which by the way, just as a side note, Jewish people do not believe in the Trinity, and yet in their Old Testament, God shows up in plural form. So right in their Old Testament, God proves that he's more than one, and yet he's the same. The more you know. Yes, exactly. Okay, so in verse 26, God says, let us make man in our image after our Likeness. So you've got to understand that the way that you were created was a three-part being. God is a three-part being. You have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You were made as a three-part being. You have a body, a soul, and a spirit. Okay? The moment sin entered into your life, it killed your spirit, and you lost communication with God. That could no longer exist. And that's why the Bible says being born again is when you trust Christ as your Savior, He sends His Holy Spirit inside of you and according to first corinthians 6 17 i believe it is that when you are joined unto the lord you become one spirit and so the bible describes it this way you as a sinner are a two-part being you have a body you have a soul your spirit is now dead you have no communication with god when you accept christ as your savior and the spirit of god moves inside your body his spirit literally infuses and becomes one with your dead spirit to bring it back to life and that's why god created this thing that we call marriage and while you hear Jesus in the New Testament say two flesh, when they get married, they become one flesh. Husband, wife, when they come together and they become man and wife, they become one flesh. It is a picture of the spirit of God coming in and fusing itself with your spirit and making one. And this is why God hates divorce. He says that in the book of Malachi. Divorce was never something that God intended. Now, divorce occurred because of the sinfulness of man, but God never approves of it. Now, there are certain circumstances where it is okay, and so we could talk about that some other point in time. But from God's perspective, divorce was never to occur. It was never supposed to happen because when God's spirit permanently infuses with your spirit, now you are one. You're one with him, and that can't be undone. You, You can't be undone. Once you're born again into God's family, you can't be unborn. It's the same way of you and your family. Once you were born, you were conceived in your mother's womb, and you were born, you became a member of your family. Who can take that away from you? None. No one. 
Like, even if your parents don't want you and they say, we want to put this person up for adoption, which can happen and it has happened, you still have the DNA inside of you of your mother and father biologically. No one can ever take that away from you. And it's the same thing on a spiritual level. When you become born again, you cannot lose your salvation. It's impossible. And there's a lot of Christians out there that believe that you can lose your salvation. It's not possible. And so here God said, let's make man in our image after our likeness. And then he said after that, and let them have. Okay, verse 26. And let them have dominion. dominion. All right, so there's your blank. Genesis 126, have dominion. Man was created to have dominion over all the creatures and all the earth. So when God created Adam, he was the first king. He was the first king over God's creation. He was to have dominion. That's really what that means. Kings have dominion over their land and their people and everything that touches their land. And it's the same thing with Adam. He was the first king. And then in verse 28, God said, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish, which is a very interesting word, which we can talk about some other time, the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything. So in verse 128, to be fruitful, multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So to have dominion over everything, to be fruitful and multiply. So God wanted to have men and women, boys and girls all over the entire earth who would honor and glorify God. That's what he wanted. That was his heart's desire. Go over to chapter two, chapter two and verse five. So I'm to read that one, two and five. Go ahead, no. In every plant of the field, before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field, before it grew, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. Okay, so there from the very last part, there was not a man to till the ground. So part of man's purpose was to till the ground, was to dress and to keep the garden. Take a look at verse 8, it kind of says the same thing. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And then take a look at verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. So God created this garden, Eden, and man was supposed to take care of it to tend it, to trim it, to take care of all, everything, to harvest the fruits. I mean, anything you can possibly think of, that was man's purpose. He was supposed to work on the earth in the garden. So there's an innate thing in each of you to work. Like God's given you a purpose to work. Now the issue is, what is your purpose? And that's what so many people are struggling with in our societies today. That's what they are. Why am I alive? God gave you a purpose. And once you know your purpose and you put it to work, then you actually have a very fulfilled life. It's very happy and very joyful because you're doing what you were made to do. And that's why so many people are miserable because they have no idea what they were made to do or they're not willing to submit themselves to what the Bible actually says. Okay, so he was supposed to till the ground to dress and keep the garden. And then lastly, look at chapter three and look at verse eight. We're jumping a little bit, but it'll all come together. So why did God create man? In verse eight, and they, talking about Adam and Eve, heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves because they had sinned at this point from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? So God came down. We don't know how often he came down. It probably was daily, in my opinion, maybe a couple times a day. Could be maybe three times a day, according to the Old Testament sacrifices. I don't know. So God came down and he wanted to spend time with his creation. 
That's why, I mean, why would God create something and just leave it alone? He wanted to have a relationship with the things that he created, especially his special creation that he created in his own image that could communicate with him. So that's the three or the four things right there. To have dominion, be fruitful and multiply, to till the ground, dress and keep the garden, and to have a personal, intimate relationship with God. And so what did God require of man? We've already read some of these verses. 120, we already read. God told man that they're supposed to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. And then God also told them in chapter 2, 16 and 17. Someone read those. All right. We're getting a lot over here. Let's get over here. 16 and 17. Give me a volunteer over on this side of the room. Go ahead, Caitlin. 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden Okay, so there's only two things that he asked. I mean, imagine being alive at this time. Put yourself in Adam's shoes, Adam and Eve's shoes. Be fruitful and multiply. Have children. Replenish the earth. Subdue it. Have dominion. Take care of everything that God gave you. Dress and keep the garden. And then that tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of it. That's it. That's all they had to do. If they would have just done that, our world would have been completely different. Completely different. But that's all they had to do. That's it. And a lot of people, I don't know why, but there's a lot of Christians that are out there that think that Adam and Eve somehow had to be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and accept Christ as their Savior. Where did God ever say that? He didn't say that. What did he say? Be fruitful, multiply, replenish, have dominion, don't eat of the tree. That was their form of salvation. If they would have done what God required... Everything would have been completely fine. That's what the Bible says. Okay, so there's God and man. So why was man created? To do those four things. What did he require? Those two things. And then we can move on. God and woman. Why was woman created? Genesis chapter 2. Already there and just past 17. We'll look at 18. And we'll just walk our way through this one. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. So picture this. You have Adam and he's standing there. And you have Jesus, because we know if there's any bodily appearance of God, it's Jesus. Because the Bible says that God the Father is a spirit and no one can see him. And the Bible also says that the Holy Spirit is a spirit and no one can see him. So the only time anyone can see God, it's Jesus. Whether it's before he had a body or after, that's the only time anyone has ever seen God, is in the form of Jesus Christ. So you have Adam, and then you got Jesus. And he's got, I just picture it, he's got his arm around Adam. He's like, you know what, it's not good that you're alone. I've given you this mission to be fruitful and multiply. I've given you this mission to have dominion. I've given you all these things that you need to do. And really, you need someone to help you do this. You can't do this alone. I need to make you help me. So he creates all of these creatures, the, the cattle, the beasts of the field, the fowls of the air. And he, God brings all of them before Adam. And can you imagine? What's that? Mm, that's a flutterby. What's that? Butterfly. I guess that used to be the name. I don't know. But he named everything. Deer, moose, skunk. Whoa. 
I mean, everything. He named it. He named all these creatures. But while he's naming them, he's looking. He's looking for something that will be able to help him with his mission to be fruitful and multiply. Replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion. He's trying to find it, and he can't find it. So all these creatures come before him, and there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. Okay, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. By the way, this is the first surgery in the Bible. And this is also where the guy, if you were to study this out, the guy that invented anesthesia, he believed the Bible. He actually read this verse and believed it, and he knew it was possible, and he figured out a way to have anesthesia. So the reason why I have anesthesia and surgeries and stuff today was because a Bible believer read this passage, verse 21, and he believed God, and then he invented it. I thought that's kind of cool. All right, so this is the first surgery in the Bible. God takes one of the ribs, closes up the flesh instead thereof, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Now, before we even get any farther, I want you to see this. So God causes a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. So he's right there. He's under anesthesia. And then God performs a surgery and he takes a rib. God could have taken like anything. I mean, he could have taken like a foot bone. He could have taken, you know, a chunk of his skull. I mean, he could, he could have taken anything, but he took a rib. Why would God take a rib? What do ribs do? Yep. And what are also in your rib cage? Your lungs? Spleen, lots of vital organs. So your rib cage is meant to protect some very important vital organs of yours. If any one of them were to get injured, you've got serious problems, right? So God uses the rib to create the woman. That is not a coincidence. That also means that this woman has the ability to protect and to help the man in things that he may not actually be aware of. And that's why also women tend to be more emotional and are more in tune with heart matters and why a lot of guys are just idiots and knuckleheads and very oblivious to a lot of things like interpersonal relationships and how to talk to people. Yeah, of course. No, more like you. Um, (laughs) No, that's all right. You're good. All right. Can't dish it unless you can take it. All right. So... When it comes to these sorts of things, just think. This is When you read your Bible, think. Why would God do something like that? Why would God do something like that? Well, he did it on purpose. And this is why men t- tend to be more objective, more logical, and women t- tend to be more emotional, and it's not a bad thing. Our society is telling us that men should be more like women and women should be more like men. And God says, no, I created them to be separate, to be different, because they need one another. God did not want there to be this whole gender spectrum of nonsense that's going on today. That is completely against the scriptures because there's value in men being men and women being women. This is our society is telling you that it's wrong. And I'm telling you, it's the best thing in the world. I am a much better person because of my wife. And my wife is a much better person because of me, because we need each other. I am missing part of me without her. And she's missing part of her without me. But together, we can accomplish a lot for the Lord and just in general. And so when you look at this, God did this on purpose. He took that portion of the rib and from that, that protects the heart and the lungs and other vital organs, he created the woman. But then notice this. 
Verse 22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. Okay. A lot of people just read over this. Don't read over this. Because here's how it unfolded. Who wants to play Adam? Okay, Timmy, get up here. All right, Rick, you can be God. <laughs> Ricky Eve. Oh, he got the haircut. He doesn't fit it. Now. All right, I need a lady to be Eve. Jack? No. <laughs> you have a scrunchie around your wrist. All right. Hey, dude. Don't worry. I'm not gonna make you kiss Timmy or anything. Don't worry about it. All right. Okay. Sister. All right. Good job. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Little did you know. Okay. All right. <laughs> we learned the incest is okay. <laughs> okay, all right, so we're going to put you over here. All right, so you have everything unfolded that just unfolded, okay? And so now he's going to knock Timmy out. Go ahead and knock him out. Should I fall? It's going to take way too much to get away into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a nice way. Okay, I'm going to so you're in a deep sleep. Okay. Okay? And so then he... I like Benny Hinn there for a second. <laughs> there you go. You have to do the Street Fighter sounds. Okay. All right. And so then go ahead and take one of his ribs. Literally. <laughs> All right. And then come over here. You don't exist yet. Okay. But you will in a moment. Okay. <laughs> That's what my daughter does, but she's trying to hide. Okay. And then from the rib, he creates Eve. Now, look at this picture for a second. Where's Adam? Okay, deep sleep. He has no idea what's going on. He's in, he's in recovery. He's in the recovery room. Okay. Now, you have God now creates Eve. What do you think happened now? They had a conversation. Yes. Why wouldn't they? Because it says that he brought Eve onto Adam, which means there would have been time for him to wake up. Because, I mean, when you're in anesthesia, how many of you have been under anesthesia before? Okay, do you guys like wake up like that? No, you don't. It takes you some time. And sometimes it's creepy. Sometimes people just go, ah, and they're crying when they're coming out of anesthesia. But it takes... It takes time. You're out. It takes time. And so as, as the time is, is being taken in order for him to recover, you bet they had a conversation about what her mission was. And then he brings her unto the man. So now you're up. You're fully recovered. Welcome. Missing a rib, though. Yeah, that's quite all right. Would it hurt? Absolutely, it would hurt for sure. But maybe kind of just like well, no, that's what he meant. So was there pain? Yeah, yeah. I bet you there was pain because he would have never forgotten it. There were nerves. There's not a cotton yet, so tough it out. So then you have the circumstance unfold where God brings Eve. Go ahead and bring Eve unto you. I'm sure they gave each other a biblical high five. Yeah. All right. And now their mission has begun. All right. Go ahead and have a seat. All right. Good. Super awkward, but lots of fun. Okay. But I wanted you to see that picture for a second because there's a lot of people that read over that verse, verse 22, and it says here very clearly, and he, God, he made the woman and he brought her unto the man. And so this tells you something very, very important. God had an already established relationship with Adam. He told Adam his mission. He told Adam what to do. He put him in the garden to dress it and to keep it. He brought all the animals before him in order to find out his helpmeet. He could not find a single one. So then he knocks him out, grabs the rib, creates Eve. And you better believe that he would have had a great conversation with Eve about what her mission is, who she's supposed to be, why she's alive. And then he brings her unto the man. Okay, do you see that? 
That is the biblical picture of proper relationships between the opposite sex before you date someone, engagement, and then marriage them. (laughs) All right. So that's how it's supposed to be. If you don't know how to walk with God and have a good, fruitful relationship between you and God, you have no business dating somebody else. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible says. If you are not looking for someone who can actually be your helpmeet to be fruitful spiritually and multiply spiritually and have dominion spiritually, then what in the world are you looking for? I know what you're looking for. You're looking for something carnal. Looking for something to satisfy your flesh. You're looking for something according to the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, which is what the enemy does. We're going to get into chapter 3 next week when we talk about that. That's his plan. He wants you to be looking for those three things rather than the things that you actually should be looking for. This is why this study is so important for you guys, because this also applies to your friendships. Who are your closest friends? Are your closest friends people that actually help you walk with God? Are they people that actually help you be fruitful in your Christian walk? To help win people to the Lord together. That when you're struggling spiritually and you're not getting in your Bible, that you can actually talk to one another. Those are the best friendships you can possibly have. And if you don't want to have that kind of relationship, well then I'm willing to bet a million dollars, if I had it, which I don't, that you don't want to walk with God. Because you're not looking for other people in your life that will help you walk with God. Now, that doesn't mean you can't have lost friends. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying who are your closest friends? Who are your dearest friends? And those would be the people that truly love you and care about you and that want to push you in your relationship with God. You can have lost friends. We're supposed to be in this world, but not of this world. How can you win people to the Lord if you're never around people that are lost? I mean, this is just common sense. We've got to just got to use our brain a little bit. There's a lot of Christians that seal themselves off from this world and have no, no intermingling with lost people. They're dumb. They're failing in their mission. You can't do that. That's impossible. So we just need to think about what has God made us to do? He has made us to be fruitful and to multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, have dominion. And we're supposed to do that with other people. And so when it comes to your friendships, when it comes to the person that you're going to marry, those people are the, I mean, critical, critical components to your Christian walk. Now, some of you have parents that don't want to walk with God, and it just makes it harder. But that's no excuse for you not to walk with God. It might be harder, but it doesn't mean it's impossible. And God knows what he's doing. Remember, if you ever struggle with anything in your life when it comes to who you are, how God made you, where he's placed you, the family he's put you in, the school he's put you in, just read and study Psalm 139 and believe it. Because in that passage, God says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. He made you on purpose, for a purpose, in the situation that you're in. You have to realize that you are born in this country, in this place, to go to the school that you are going to, to be in the family that you are in for a reason. If God didn't think that you could handle it, he wouldn't have put you there. He's infinitely wise. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows what he's doing. He put you there for a reason. And so as you believe him and walk with him, just watch how he begins to transform your life and the people around you. And I'm not saying it's not going to be hard. It's going to be hard. Of course it's going to be hard. I mean, walking with God is not easy. We're living in a world that we don't belong here. And so when you walk with God and they hate God, of course it's going to be difficult. But yet at the same time, in the end, God wins and we're in his family. 
And so really, honestly, what do we have to lose? Like, think, I mean, just carry it out. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? Die. Yeah, absolutely. Or be tortured and then die. You know, we could throw that in there. Or get mauled by a tiger. Yeah, exactly. But then when you die, you're with God for all eternity. And so there are certain things that we just have to have the proper perspective. And this is why, bringing it all the way back around full circle, your relationship with God will determine your perspective about everything. As you walk with God, it will change the way you see people, circumstances. It will sh- it'll begin to shape you and change you. It will start changing your values and the things that you love and the things that you don't like, the things that you enjoy to do, things you don't enjoy to do, because you're beginning to see things from his perspective. Because the word of God is getting in you and the spirit of God is convicting you. And as you obey it inside of you and the word of God that you're reading, then he begins to change you and he makes you actually the best person you could possibly be, the person you were always meant to be. And that's why truly and honestly, Christians should be the happiest, most joyful, most fulfilled people on on, on the planet. The happiest people I've ever met have been people that are Christians that walk with God and love God with all their heart. That really don't care about anybody else's opinions but the Lord's. They love him. They walk with him. And he's the only one that matters. And they are some of the best people that I've ever been around. I still remember to this day, there's this guy... When I was a kid, I used to walk with people and talk with people all the time. My parents didn't know where I was at when I was at church in different places, but especially at church. And so they were a little bit looser at church. But I remember after church services, my dad would be preaching and then he'd be done. And because I grew up in my dad's church, for those of you that don't know. And so I remember I would be in conversations with a lot of old people. I love old people. And there's this one guy, his name was Elmer Dunbar. I mean, it just sounds old. You know? (laughs) Elmer Dunbar. This guy was one of the sweetest guys, but he, I loved being around him. Even when I was a kid that was five, six years old, I would go and I would sit with him. I would sit with him in the pews in in the sanctuary and I would talk to him for like 20, 30 minutes because he just had, he just, I don't know. There was something about him that he just really encouraged me and he loved me and I could see that. But this guy had a ton of health problems, ton of health problems. If there was anybody that would have been absolutely miserable, it would have been this guy. He was in and out of the hospital so much before he died. But every time he was in the hospital, he had a great attitude about it. And every time he was in the hospital, he either won a nurse to the Lord, she got saved because she took care of him, or it was someone that he had already won to the Lord that he kept encouraging. Because he had spent so much time in the hospital that he just kept witnessing to nurses. And he was such a joyful dude that he was just so contagious. It was so contagious. And that's a guy that I've always looked up to when I was a little kid. And I appreciate him, and I can't wait to see him again. So when you look at all this, why was woman created? Genesis 2, 18 through 25, to be man's helpmeet by helping him to fulfill his God-given purpose. And see, a lot of people in our society today will say, well, that's just sexist. All right, hold on a second. (laughs) Hold on a second. No, it's not. And if you want to call me a sexist, then fine. I'm a biblical sexist, okay? I believe in two genders. And I believe the the way God laid it out is that he laid it out for a purpose, on purpose. And see, here's the reality. In doing this, I want you to think about it this way. Our society is trying to destroy the gender walls. But what God has done is that he created man and woman on purpose. And in creating two individual genders, God actually exalted both of them. Do you see that? That's what God has done. If God wanted it to be gender neutral, he would have made it gender neutral. But he created two different sexes, male and female. And so in that regard, God has exalted the male and the female in their proper role. 
And to say that the woman is the helpmeet for the man is not a slight to her. If anything, it should tell you how important she is. Because without her, he can't do his job. You see that? Our world is telling you a bunch of lies. A bunch of lies. That is the truth. Women are vitally important. Vitally important. Without my wife, I could not do what I'm supposed to do. And I know that. And so if you want to call me a sexist for that, then so be it. But from my perspective, it actually exalts her role. It makes her really important. Because without her, I wouldn't be able to do it. And so people today are completely aligned to you. Completely. All right, last paragraph, and then we'll hit the backside next week. Notice that both man and woman had responsibilities to fulfill, but their first obligation is to their beloved creator. As we will see, it will be impossible for man and woman to fulfill any of their personal responsibilities unless they are keeping their personal relationship with God right, pure, and in its proper place. This is so important. The moment that I or my wife stop walking with God, we have problems. And it's the same thing in your friendships. It's the same thing in your households. It's the same thing in dating relationships. It's, it's the same thing everywhere. The moment that you stop walking with God, your friendships, your relationships, they begin to crumble because you're no longer looking at them from God's perspective, submitting to his authority. Now you're looking at them the way that everybody else does, and it's only a matter of time before it falls apart. Okay, that is a lot to chew on. Take some time to really think about this. Some of you might need to rewire your brain a little bit, and that's okay. That is completely okay. Because this is what it means to hear the Bible and to believe the Bible. When you believe the Bible, it means that you undo some of the things that you used to believe and you start to believe some of the things that God had said. And that's why we started off the first week by saying, are you willing to forsake the things that you think you know in order to believe what God has to say? Because that's where you have to start first. Okay, any questions at all? Uh, That was a good um, uh, transition right there. Yeah, uh, and you were going all deep and then said, hey, okay, we're good. Yeah. Thanks. I'm working on that. <laughs> all right. What else we got? Any other questions? Anything at all? Could be anything. Okay. Yes, Noah. Okay. I don't think there's really an answer to this, but so Adam and Eve created, they fall. Is there any indication in the Bible anywhere of how long it was before they fell? No. We do know that they did not have any children yet. So I think it was very shortly after they were created. Um, and we'll get into some of that next week because we'll talk about the fall. And we'll talk about the subtle plan of the devil. Um, and we'll get into a little bit. And I'm going to allude to a lot of things because there's a lot of things to allude to. Um, and I just don't have time to go to the depths of them, but it'll get you thinking a little bit. I'm kind of scared about this because I don't think I'm mentally prepared for this. Well, you know what? You got a week. A so get prepared. Yeah, Jack. No one's going to ask it. I'll probably forget about it. Okay, Did they have belly buttons? Did they have belly buttons? <laughs> 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 That's the deepest question I've ever heard from you. Yeah. And that's saying something, by the way. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. If you want my honest opinion, and if I have to think about this, I tend to be very logical and very analytical. This is my opinion because God did not disclose the belly button status of Adam Adam and Eve. But my opinion is, no, they did not. Because there's no need for them. There's no need for them. Because you get a belly button when you're born from your belly button. Right. Once that's, like, because that's how it's... Right. They weren't born. Right. So they went to the house. Yeah. God created them from the dust of the ground. Maybe. 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 Mayb
No, she didn't have an umbilical cord, so she wouldn't have had one. Oh, no, but then he's like, well, oh, this is No. No, I think what happened is, is once they had Cain and Abel, they're like, what do we do? I don't know, tie a knot in it. And then they figured it out. <laughs> All right. Okay. And he was probably called a belly knot at first. That's what I'm thinking. Okay. Navel knot. There you go. A gut hole? Yeah, that's pretty attractive. You have a pretty hot gut hole. <laughs> All right. What's your gut hole in an E or an Audi? All right. So, since we started on, or we, we ended on such a great note, uh, we'll stop there before we go any farther down the uh, carnal road into any unimportant things. For a lot of you, everything you just learned got flushed. Thanks, Jack. All right, good. Leah. I want to keep going, but I think your parents would get mad at me. Oh, I don't care. I broke here today. <laughs> yeah. No, I would really, I would love to. There's so much to talk about. But let's bite off this and chew on this for a little bit because there's a lot here. There's a lot on this that we need to really think about. So be thinking about this. How does this really affect you? Start thinking about some of the things that we threw out there um, and just really consider. You know, one of the best things you guys can do as you read your Bible, as you are here on Sundays, as you're here on Wednesdays, as you meet for discipleship, which, by the way, uh, for, for those of you that are still waiting to get paired up, we're close to being finished. So we'll let you guys know soon about that. Okay. So um, as you guys are doing all those sorts of things, the best thing you can do is to meditate on the things that we've been talking about. What do I mean by that? Think about them constantly. Yes. Think about it. Think about it. God's word was meant to be thought about. It's like when you marinate a steak or chicken or whatever. It tastes much better if it marinates longer. And so when it comes to the Word of God, as you marinate over this stuff and you start really thinking about it and thinking about it and not forgetting it, like your guys' notes, like if you have nothing else to do for your devotions, pick this up in the morning. Go back through your notes and read through these passages again. Think about this stuff. Write some stuff out in the journal, different things that stand out to you. You should do things like that. Don't forsake this stuff. Because honestly, these things will really direct your future for the next 10, 15 years, maybe even the rest of your life. Very, very important. All right, with that said... Let's pray. Who would like to pray? And close this out. Timmy, go ahead. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this day, and I thank you for the ability to just freely come to church, Lord, and I just pray for the nation as there's so many things going wrong politics right now, and I just thank you for Pastor Stephen and his business, Lord, and I just pray that everyone gets on the top of it, and that we all grow closer to you, Lord, and just pray for a safe night and a safe week for the rest of everyone here. Amen.